Welcome to the Shrink Think Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Nathan. And we're both licensed professional counselors in Oregon here to open up our lives and minds with you. We'll share some of our experience as counselors, business owners, and most important of all, as everyday people. to our show. We are excited to continue this series on the fear triangle. The first episode, we gave you kind of an intro to what the fear triangle is. And in the last episode, we talked about one of the roles on the fear triangle, the upper left role, which is the persecutor role. And Nathan did a great job of interviewing me. And I tried to give you some insights from my perspective as someone who tends to find myself on that role in certain relationships. And so today we're going to talk with you about the top right role on the triangle, which is the rescuer role. And the rescuer role is similar in a lot of ways to the persecutor, but in a lot of very different ways. So Nathan's going to unpack that for you. So Nathan, tell me, what do you normally tell your clients about this? Let's kind of open this up with your sort of teaching segment and then I'll interview you as a sort of surrogate rescuer role person, and we'll go from there. It's interesting because I end up always saying this whole thing differently every time. But I would say that one of the key factors to think about, and I want to remind you guys about one thing before we get going here, is that there's a couple rules to the triangle, and that is that you can't rescue a rescuer, you can't persecute a persecutor, and you can't be more of a victim than a victim. And the other component is that when you are rescuing, that's where we're focused on this time, it's because you're hurting. The irony of it is, is the mere action of doing the rescuing that you're doing is actually distancing you from what you're trying to get. Just on a base level, what is the rescuer trying to get? So rescuers are really looking for acceptance. And so the bottom line thought is if I'm helpful, if I'm somehow making somebody's life a better situation by compromising my own whatever um, self, then I'm going to be lovable. So yeah, anyway, that's kind of what it is. Well, let me just tell you kind of off the bat, this is really good. This is why I'm really enjoying these conversations and unpacking it this way is because as someone who comes from the other side of the triangle, a persecutor, when you try to be helpful and try to do that, I, it comes across to me <laughs> as, oh, so I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I don't need your help. And it makes me want to push you away even more. Um, have you experienced that or do you see people experience that as a rescuer? Yeah, let's see. This is what makes us rescuers good, though, because we're so manipulative. We'll help you to realize you actually do need our help. <laughs> okay, tell me more about that. What are some of the? What does that look like? What are the strategies you might use? <laughs> well, let me let me back up a little bit and tell people kind of what I'd always say because we're kind of jumping in right at it, which is totally great. But I have to know that you guys all know this part, which is that a, a rescuer. So I compare it to. I've always used the Air Force paratroopers as a good example. So they have, now I know that somebody out there is going to be a paratrooper and they're going to be irritated with this, but I'm going to tell you, listen anyway. Um, so there's an exercise that, that happens where they basically tell all of these recruits, these potential paratroopers, okay, today, gentlemen, um, you are going to be assigned a rock. And with that rock, you are to say, permission to water my rock, sir, at such time that your rock is dry or you are thirsty. So basically, they're keeping this rock wet all the time, right? And so towards the end um, of, the, of the whole week, and this goes through their class time and everything, 
they are told, okay, well, now you're supposed to keep the rock wet, but you don't get to drink anything. And these are the guys that are getting trained to rescue people behind enemy lines. And this could be other special forces, or it could be random civilian. So they basically get to the point oftentimes that they just pass out from dehydration, but their rock is wet when they pass out. That, that's kind of the, the picture I give of the, uh, the rescuer, because that's the self-compromise that a rescuer will do will be all the way to the point of absolute exhaustion in order to, in order to be helpful, which is a full transfer of self, essentially. They fully are losing themselves in order to try to see if they can be themselves. And that's why it's uh, really, really lame. So are you saying that in some ways, in some really fundamental, deep ways that maybe a rescuer might say, in order to really find myself and see myself, I have to be rescuing? Yeah. So the value, that's right, because the value is coming from that's acceptable, right? So in the eyes of the other person that you're helping, you are accepted in that moment. And that, quite frankly, is like a drug to some extent, um, because it makes you feel loved in the moment. What I see in people and how I describe this is it it creates this gigantic hamster wheel that you live in where you do it. I mean, you, you described it like a drug where it, which is another great example or analogy where you do it once and you have to do it again and again and again. And the idea is that in order for you to maintain your level of acceptance or acceptability to be acceptable, you have to keep doing this thing. At whatever point you stop doing it, you are now officially unacceptable or unaccepted. So, as, and you, you know that or you feel that somewhere deep down inside. Or maybe you fear that if you don't do this, someone's going to be disappointed in you and think, oh, well, I needed you to do that and you didn't do it. So, I guess I need to turn somewhere else. And that creates this big conundrum for you as a rescuer because you just have to perpetually be doing this no matter what the cost is to yourself. Is that right? Yeah, there's definitely a perpetual nature to it. And the other aspect of this that I want to highlight that we kind of joked around about earlier, uh, well, specifically was the manipulation. I often joke for you Star Wars fans out there, rescuers are like the Jedis. They will look right at you and go, these are not the droids you're looking for. Like, and, oh, you think that you, you actually do need help. Watch this. Um, and they're oh, I do need help. You know, that type of thing. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so at, from, a, from a listener standpoint, if I'm on the other side, um, what is convincing me that I really do need your help? Is that like you just find you're looking for my need or you're looking for my weakness or you're looking to do something that maybe I didn't even know that I wanted or need it. And then I'm like, oh, well, I mean, yeah, that's not so bad. I'm like, I, OK, I could use a little bit of that. There's two parts to that. On the one hand, um, if you so a natural and you, and you yeah I'm just thinking of all the people out there that are probably resonating with this right now. On the one hand, all that you need to do is ask a question, and the rescuer is there to help. So I need to ask a question. For, what's that question? It wouldn't necessarily matter if we if we didn't know each other very well, then then um, you ask something, then it would be like, oh, I can help here, and here's the answer if I happen to know what it is. If I don't know what it is, I might even pretend. And that's the part where I'll take the knowledge that I do have and extrapolate in that scenario. On the other side, when you know somebody well, all you need to do is find a problem. And everybody's got a problem, They're, you know, and that's it. So like it's a little bit of this like vanilla ice problem. If there was a problem, yo, rescuer will solve it. <laughs> oh, no. Check out the triangles. The DJ revolves. <laughs> <laughs> that's so lame. <laughs> 
you know, and I'm just going to say this because it's... <laughs> I can't believe we're talking about this uh, in the middle of a fear triangle episode. But, you know, this is something we'll come back to time and time again. Like we use humor as therapists and as people to break down and deal with some difficult topics and conversations. And you got to be able to laugh at yourself. You got to be able to see some of the ridiculousness of it. Not that it's not serious or it's not a problem, but you got to just be able to step back and look at it from that standpoint of like, yeah, I guess I, I'm looking for a problem. I'm I'm trying to solve it. If that's the song that sticks in my head to help me break out of the triangle, then that's what I got to do. So I hope that for as funny or as awkward as that might sound, that it really does help at the same time. Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff that humor does actually. As we talk about the, the fear triangle, the thing that happens when the rescuer gets exhausted is they just decide that that's how they move to victim at that point, full victim. Because it would be like, yep, I'm basically a writhing pile of crap. And to point you back, actually, in the very beginning of when we first were teaching the triangle to you, um, we talked about how the persecutor side of the triangle is more overt and the rescuer side is covert. So what you mean by that overt meaning like the persecutor is going to just come out and set their boundaries and say, well, I don't need that or that's bad or whatever they're going to do. They're going to say it more explicitly. Whereas I think you're saying that the rescuer is going to do that more covertly. It's going to be subtle, implied, maybe not even with words. Yeah. Rescuers, we really kind of want you to read our minds a bit. Um, And that comes ultimately growing up from a lack of nurture typically it's the lack of nurture in times when you needed it and so the problem is is that a rescuer is only going to feel nurtured if it's done without without them knowing it what i guess i mean by that is that so in there's the covert nature right so take take overt versus covert okay so from a persecutor standpoint the woundings are betrayal and abandonment. A persecutor can get away by trying to overtly control that by saying, you will not lie to me or this, 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 and um, you will not leave me, which those are pretty tangible. But apply that same overt phrase to a rescuer and you say, the rescuer's wound is acceptance or rejection. And you say like, you will not reject me. You will accept me. The person go, yeah, of course. We don't believe you. We have to see that demonstrate and the only way for that to happen is we have to see it happening without any control over it so the, if you think of the teenage girl that's met with her boy that she thinks she might like but um is walking up behind her in the hall she turns around and she kind of sees him but she's talking with another friend she freaks out turns back to her friend and says is he looking at me is he what about now does he you know and she's trying to understand if he actually likes her and is interested when she's not paying attention. And so, and that's kind of the rescuer's plight in the same way with nurture. We needed it as we grew up. We didn't get it. And all we know is that we didn't get it. It seems a little bit like it's this love language sort of a thing. If I may, I don't know how many of you have heard about the five love languages by Gary Chapman. I think a lot of people have heard about it by now. It's been out for like 20 years or so. It's a a valuable tool kind of in helping you know yourself and what is meaningful to you or what you feel loved by. So anyway, it seems like it's a love language thing for a rescuer in that what you're trying to do for me is to find a need as the other person, find a problem or a need and make me feel cared about in that need. And vice versa, you're looking for that to be done to you. And that's where you ultimately feel accepted. 
Right. Essentially, it's funny because I think of uh, that old movie Rush Hour with Jackie Chan and uh, Chris Tucker, and he first meets Jackie Chan, and he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to be hanging out with this quote Chinaman that he's got to show around everywhere, and because um, he's got a, he's got this lame job of what he calls babysitting the Chinaman or whatever. Um, you know, not to be offensive or whatever, but that's literally the quote. He shows up and he's irritated, and Jackie Chan gets off the plane and he stands there by the car and just stands there. And so Chris Tucker goes, put your bag in the back. He just stands there. He goes, put your bag in the back. He goes, Jackie Chan just stays there. He goes, do you speak any English? Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? One of my favorite quotes. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? And And what's his response? He doesn't doesn't say anything at that point. He just puts it because later... They get a gun pointed to him, and then and then he goes, "Don't shoot!" <laughs> and the guy goes, and then you hear this gong in the background. He's like, he looks over. I'm like, "You understand? You speak English?" And yeah, all that to say that like it doesn't matter how loud or how much Chris Tucker enunciates English. Jackie Chan, if he doesn't speak English, is not going to be able to speak English. It's just not going to happen. And so therein lies the rescuer and the persecutor's plight to some extent to try to like teach the other person how to care for them by doing it. I mean, it's just like speaking English to somebody who's Chinese. I mean, if they're not going to do it, they're not going to do it. So, yeah, I think that's kind of getting at some of the vulnerability and responsibility aspect of it. You know, we talk about getting off the triangle. We'll talk about uh, taking responsibility for your own issues, your own fears, your own hurts or wounding and doing something about it, like being honest that this is what it is and I need to do something about it um, rather than putting it off on somebody else or trying to avoid it or whatever. So getting at the, the responsibility aspect, it seems like what you're saying is in order for a rescuer to really change their ways, they have to say, yeah, I have, I have this need and this is what I want from you. And I would love it if you could take care of me in this way, or I would love it if you could say these nice things to me, or if you could hold my hand, you know, talking about all the different love languages. If a rescuer could identify what it is that they want or need that would make them feel loved, then that would change all that crazy making, change all the manipulation, take all that stuff out of their mind to just make the, I always say, make the implicit explicit. That is true. And to a rescuer, that's terrifying because what you're doing as soon as you admit a need is you are also admitting that you're, you might not be acceptable because you're putting it out there. If the person is not accepting or they mock or they do, because it's, it's a huge deal for a rescuer to state that. So if there's any kind of like, that's a time, honestly, when joking's probably not great, um, because it's taken a lot of work for that rescuer to even state that need in the first place, and they're they're on the verge of going like, "Here I am." It's like you know, for lack of a better way to say it, the first time you know you're naked in front of somebody, you don't want somebody to go, "Wow, that's nice." That's you know, that's not good. Yeah, that, that's an interesting comparison. I was I was thinking of something a little bit different. <laughs> no <laughs> surprise, um, but it's like first day of school or being the new kid to a new school, new kid to a class where it's really uncomfortable for the teacher to say, "Okay, we have this new kid, and here he is, and it's you." Stand up in front of the class and tell everybody about you. It's like, okay, it's very clear to you that you're the outsider. And you don't know anybody and everybody else knows everybody. 
that's extremely vulnerable. It would be better if that were sort of massaged out of you. It seems like in the relationships I've had with rescuers, it seems like it takes a lot of, I use the word massaging, but like gentle, reinforcing, reassuring, because it seems like in a lot of ways, they talk through uh, different things that they're doing and different needs that they have. And it actually takes kind of a long time to discover that this is the need, almost like it's so raw or so painful or just so exposed that um, from a persecutor standpoint to not just be like, yep, this is what it is. This is my need. Okay, I got to do something about it. For a rescuer, it seems like it's so much more tender and sensitive. It takes some coaxing to get there. Largely, I think why that is, um, is because the more information and the more knowledge that a rescuer gets, like rescuers have a tendency to be more of the self-help book crowd. That doesn't mean that that's true for you, but they're very good at self-analyzing. However, they won't accept responsibility uh, for a lot of that analysis, which is the rub. Um, they use it for knowledge of how to be different, but they're not actually accepting where they're at. So are you saying like they don't use it to be different themselves? Maybe they use it to be different for their partner or for the other person or how to change the relationship in some way and not personally for themselves? Well, yes, that would happen. I think as you said that I was realizing the other component is that they're self-diagnosing using this and going like, look at me, see, I'm acceptable even though I have this problem, whatever it happens to be. But they're not stopping to look at like what they're wanting is somebody else to say, oh, okay, you're acceptable now. Well, that's all that they want. They're, they don't actually want to work on the problem. They just want to be accepted um, and they found out a way to kind of label it. So you've got those friends out there, maybe you're a person that struggles with labels. And the truth is, is that not even the summation of the labels is actually who you are. Just realizing that it's okay to not know. It's okay to not be helpful all the time, you know, and to not have to, and to, and to tell somebody like, I'm sorry, I don't know what to do. Or, um, well, that must be hard for you. And then you just sit there and that's it. So what would be, from a rescuer point of view, what would be the fear if you were to do something like that? I talk with people all the time about facing your fears, and um, there's a great book out there that's called uh, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. I think I've talked, maybe I've talked about it before on the podcast, I'm not sure. Great book. The author narrows it down to like three like primary levels, you know, I'm afraid this is going to happen. I'm afraid I'm going to feel this way. And at its root, I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to handle that. So as you talk about the fear for a rescuer, what is it they're afraid of or how it's going to feel? And I'm assuming they're not going to be able to handle that. Yeah, what's going to happen. So one of the one of the other sides of the coin is that from a rescuer's perspective, they're seeing things that other people don't see all the time. They're seeing stuff in their friends that their friends won't deal with. So that you're asking that same person to then expose their own self and know full well the people they're exposing to don't even really know themselves either. They're not going to be helpful on the way back. That's kind of what it feels like. The truth is, is we're all humans and you don't, like we talked about in previous podcasts, I think in even episode five, that... You don't know 
what you don't know about yourself and you're never going to know because it's an unknown thing unless you put it out there and then actually get feedback. A rescuer is trying to control all of the interaction between themselves and everybody else, all of it. And so in that way, but they're doing it very covertly and no one can actually see on the surface. And they're, and they're actually, man, back in the day, I used to take pride in that actually in college years. I looking back, I'm like totally ashamed of it. You should be ashamed. <laughs> Tell your younger self now. <laughs> no, um, I, I, I want to take a little bit of a pivot here. I want to stay on the same subject, but just as we're talking about it, one of the things that that has come up for me that I think a lot about are the idea of boundaries, um, particularly when it comes to the fear triangle. And when I think about the persecutor from that uh, standpoint, often, um, and I put together this e-course on boundaries, and uh, in it I talk kind of in thinking about a persecutor and a rescuer, uh, two different groups of people. I'm speaking to those groups because one side, the persecutor tends to have very strong, very rigid boundaries. They have no problem saying no. Whereas on the other side, it seems like for the rescuer, boundaries are a huge problem. They will say no all day long for the benefit of the other person, the relationship at great cost to themselves. You were even saying earlier, maybe even at a complete sacrifice of the self. So where do boundaries come in with regard to rescuers? Well, that's the part that, you know, I know we're going to do an episode on how to get off the triangle, and that's kind of where this ends up leading. Rescuers essentially have to start. They have to start getting some boundaries. And what I tell people is start small. And it's funny because I'll give this example and people look at each other like, oh my gosh, that's actually harder than you think. So for example, you're going out with your partner for dinner and they say, where do you want to go out to eat? And a rescuer is going to say right after that, typically, I don't know, where do you want to go? And there we are. So what I would be challenging you is to... uh, to not to say like to say where you want to go, and because the reality is is that what you're doing up front is you're already compromising yourself. But from the other standpoint, just to kind of interject here, do you know where you want to go, and you're just not saying it? Where I'm coming from, there may be that case, but the truth is is that if somebody asks you that and you're really like looking at dinner, your answer is going to be maybe you're not hungry and you haven't thought about it. That's fine. Or if you do have a place. Maybe they're just now asking you, so you're now now you're thinking about it. Then you give yourself the space. Either way, though, stating where you're coming from is what I'm talking about. Because what'll happen is a rescuer won't. They will automatically defer, and they will tell themselves like, "Yeah, I really don't care. I really don't. Like, I really honestly don't." Yeah, that's been one of the most enlightening and frankly, surprising things about um, being married to a rescuer. Uh, I think somebody who tends to be on that side of things is that um, in terms of the other person or in terms of a relationship, a persecutor, from my standpoint, the people that I've worked with, we tend to be, I don't want to say islands or loners because we can be very well connected, but we tend to definitely, you know, think about our needs and like what we want. So when you're asking the question, I'm like, oh, I really want to go here. Let's do this. And that can sort of dominate things. In some ways, we kind of know ourselves better maybe than a rescuer might. Um, maybe not not truly, not fully deep down inside. But in terms of being able to say, this is what I want, and to care about myself in that way. On the other side of things, this is where I'm going with it, it seems like rescuers have a really hard time 
focusing on themselves, taking care of themselves, meeting their own needs. But what they're really good at, that's really surprising, is a lot of times they actually don't care about where they go or they really just want the other person to be happy. And if it means going somewhere that they don't particularly care about, they're okay because it's like you're happy and I like that actually. And that's not like a dysfunctional thing mm-hmm. or an unhealthy thing. It's just a no, I genuinely care about you and I want you to be happy. Right. And I think that's totally true. But also you rescuers out there that I'm looking at right now through the old speakers, I am challenging you anyway to put it out there because in order for you to know that's true, you have to also know where you stand because the reality is, is you're so good at self-compromising. You have to get good at compromising the actual situation in order to compromise the situation. There has to be one. You have to say, well, the truth is, is I want, I want a burger tonight, but I also know that you hate them. So I don't, um, so up front, my tendency is to say like, whatever you want to do, because I know you don't want burgers, but if you're asking me, that's what I want. Yeah. And just to, to close this up here, this has been a really helpful conversation. I think from the other, the other person's standpoint, really in order to fully care about you, I need to know you. In order to you know know what your needs are or to meet those needs, I need to know what they are, and and you know the other person has to get to know probably through some trial and error. Maybe you put put it out there and it doesn't go so well or it creates some conflict, but that's okay because we'll talk a lot about conflict on the podcast and how conflict is actually a great opportunity to know yourself, to know the other person, and to deepen your connection together. But that conflict is an opportunity in this regard for us to work things out and for me to know that, no, you actually really don't care where we go. I wouldn't have known that about you. And so now that's a known thing. And so now I can accept that and I can care about you more in that way. And from that standpoint, you can actually get the acceptance you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. I I think that's totally right. Um, It will feel risky to you to put yourself out there. And I'm talking about these small ways. I mean, obviously there's a huge spectrum with that. I think that we really covered the rescuer pretty well. Um, getting off the triangle is something we're going to be coming up with and we still need to go over the victim also. Yeah. So stay tuned for our next episode. We will go into the whole victim side of things, which really, I think I, I would like to tease you with this to say that Every point on the triangle is a victim point of view. The persecutor is just a persecutor form of victim, and the rescuer is a rescuer form of victim, and the victim is really just a victim victim. So stay tuned for the next episode, and we'll dig into that. Thanks for listening to our show. Don't forget to head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts to leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at shrinkthinkpodcast.com forward slash course and sign up for our free email course.